I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5, the Gospel of John chapter 5. We'll be looking at verse 30 to begin. I would encourage you to use the printed note sheets that you were handed on the way in today. They're going to be quite helpful as we walk through this passage in a logical manner. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we would love for you to come to the altar room right there right after the gathering today, and we would love to give you a copy of the Bible that you might own one for yourself, and it would be our free gift to you, and it would be our joy to put it in your hands. And so we would love to do that. Jesus says this in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 30, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear... I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth, but the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. He, meaning John, was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe Me, for he wrote about me. But if you not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, whenever we come to look at a passage of scripture, it's critical that we observe the context in which this passage sits. And surrounding the context of our passage today, as we've been studying for weeks, we see a number of issues addressed. We see the the display of who Jesus is, the miraculous works that are accomplished by Jesus. We we see an explanation of the unique and amazing and awesome relationship that God the Son has with God the Father. And we see in the context of the entirety of Scripture how it clearly, all of it, points to the person of Jesus Christ. And now considering our our current passage of interest today, here we see all of these issues are addressed right here in this own passage by Jesus Christ himself, who he is, his, his works, his miracles, his relationship with the Father, and the purpose of Scripture. In fact, in the last line of our passage today, we see a question that Jesus asked that really sums up the point of the entire passage in verse 47. 
Jesus asked a great question. How will you believe my words? In other words, Jesus in this moment is speaking to the Jewish people who are currently with him. And Jesus asked them, how will they come to trust and believe as truth the words of which he was speaking? How will you believe my words? And, and that's a great question. It's a great question that extends all the way to us today, here and now, that how will we know if Jesus is telling the truth? How will we know if the words of Jesus are reliable, if they're trustworthy, if they are dependable? In our passage today, Jesus brilliantly lays out an offer of proof of how a person can believe his words. Whether it was the Jews who were hearing him firsthand ask this question, or even us today, thousands of years later, studying the Holy Scriptures by the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in believers. Why should you believe the words of Jesus are true? And our passage today teaches us this, that you, you, you should believe the words of Jesus are true because of four witnesses. You should believe that the words of Jesus are true because of four witnesses. And Jesus is the one who gives these four witnesses in this passage today. He offers them as proof to the validity of his words, as proof to the validity of his message and his personhood. And in the beginning of the passage, Jesus hints to the plurality of witnesses in a couple ways. First in verse 30 right here, he says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. So he's not alone in this. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not alone, and everything I do is because of another. In fact, it's because another speaks that I hear and judge. And Jesus says, my, ju my judgment, it ends up being the right judgment because I'm not in this for myself, but rather my judgment is based on the desires of the one who has sent me. And he goes on in verse 32, there is another who testifies of me. And I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. So here Jesus says it plainly that there's another witness who testifies to the validity of Jesus. And the testimony that this other witness provides as proof is the truth. And Jesus is clearly communicating that there is sufficient witness that proves who he is, what he says, and what he does is all true. So what does Jesus offer as witness? Well, the first witness that Jesus offers is as proof to why a person should believe in the words of Jesus is witness number one. And it's Jesus. He offers himself the Son of God, and we see this in verse 31. Jesus provides himself as witness number one. Jesus provides himself, the Son of God, as the first witness to why you should believe the words of Jesus. In verse 31 he says, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, Jesus is using a negative argument here to prove that his words are true. And what Jesus is saying is that if 
his testimony about himself stands alone by itself, then it can't be proved or validated, confirmed as true. There's a requirement of more than a single testimony to validate something as true. And this principle is taught in scripture. We see Moses communicate this in Deuteronomy 19.15. He says this, a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. Well, what's the principle here? Well, simply on the confirmation of two or three witnesses, a matter can be proved as true and accurate. And Jesus is arguing this same position that there are multiple witnesses required to validate his own words, the words of Jesus. And so in verse 31, he says, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, what Jesus is not saying is that he's not saying that his testimony is not true. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, Jesus clearly communicates in scripture that his testimony is in fact True, let's look at the conversation that Jesus had with Pilate on the night before his crucifixion. In John chapter 18, verse 37, it says this, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king, for this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth Here's my voice. And then Pilate said to him, well, what is truth? It's like Pilate saying the same question we're looking at tonight. How can we know the words of Jesus are true? And so in our passage today, Jesus is not saying that his testimony is untrue. What Jesus is saying is that if the only testimony that Jesus provides is the testimony of Jesus about himself, that it cannot be established or confirmed as valid from multiple sources. But that's not what he does here in this passage because Jesus is not giving himself as the only testimony about himself. But Jesus does provide himself as one of the testimonies, as the son of God, as the first witness to believing the words of Jesus as true. And he provides other witnesses as well. We'll see them as we go through the passage. Now, the next witness that Jesus provides, he provides it, I'm gonna call it a bonus witness. Because Jesus provides this next witness, but he doesn't build his case on this witness because it's a, it's a witness of lower value. I think that's an okay phrase to use in this sense, and, and we'll see why here. And it's bonus witness, John the Baptist. And he was a messenger for God. In verses 33 through 36, our passage goes on with Jesus saying, you have sent to John and he has testified to the truth, but the testimony which I receive is not from Man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. He, John the Baptist, was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than John, the testimony of John. Now we're going to focus in on verse 33. It says, You have sent to John, and he's testified to the truth. Now, John, Jesus clearly says that John the Baptist has testified to who Jesus is. So where do we find in the Bible um, where this occurs? Well, it's, it's found in the beginning of the Gospel of John as, as we've been going through it together. In chapter one, verse 19, it says this. This 
is the testimony of John, and it's speaking of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. And they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. And it is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. What is the testimony of John the Baptist about Jesus? John the Baptist communicates that Jesus is of much higher importance than himself. John puts it this way, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. John the Baptist understood that though he was a witness and he was a testimony, he was not anywhere on the same level of, of plane as the Messiah of God. John knew that his own testimony about Jesus was of a lower value than the testimony that Jesus would provide for himself. And frankly, God agrees, which is why Jesus says in verse 36, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. Speaking of John the Baptist. Now in our passage today, Jesus clearly communicates that he does not, he does not need the witness of John the Baptist to prove that his words are true. In fact, Jesus says this also about John the Baptist in Matthew 11, verses 7, 11. It says, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John the Baptist, and this is what he says. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, check this out, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. If you, if you are in Christ, you are in the kingdom of heaven. No matter where you fall in the kingdom of heaven, great or small, first or last, Jesus shares that you're greater than John the Baptist and what John the Baptist did. Because the Holy Spirit of God indwells you as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus shares the witness of John the Baptist, but he doesn't rely on this witness to prove his point. The next witness that Jesus provides is witness number two, the works of Jesus. These are the miracles of God. And Jesus provides his works as witness number two. Jesus provides his works, the miracles of God, as the second witness of why you should believe the words of Jesus. And Jesus says this in verse 36 of our passage today. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, they testify about me, that the Father has sent me. The works of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus that he accomplished, the actions of Jesus, they all, all of it, it all testifies about Jesus. The works, the miracles, the actions, they're witnesses to the truth that God the Father has sent Jesus, who is God the Son. Now even further, in John chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus says this, 
in case there's some people not believing, which there was to who he was speaking to, and there may be someone here tonight who's not believing. And he says this, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is, is in me. Otherwise, if, if you won't believe that, otherwise believe because of the works themselves. It's clear, Jesus offers as the second witness his own works, the things he's accomplished, the miracles that he's done, the actions he's taken. The next witness that Jesus provides is witness number three, and it's the Father. It's the Father God. It's not the Godfather. It's the Father God, all right? We see this in verse 37. Jesus provides the Father as witness number three. Jesus provides the Father, the Father God, as the third witness of why you should believe the words of Jesus. Jesus says this in verse 37. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. And you've neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. Jesus was crystal clear that God the Father had sent him. Jesus gave no confusion at all regarding the relationship that God the Father had with God the Son, who is Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 30, it says, Jesus says this, and he's pretty clear. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus says, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, if I do the works of my Father, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. In other words, Jesus establishes a negative argument again. If Jesus is not doing the works of God the Father, then do not believe the words of Jesus, which implies the positive argument that in this case, Jesus states it right here explicitly. If he's saying, if I do the works of God the Father, even if you do not believe my words, believe the words of Jesus, then believe the works of Jesus so that you may know that God the Father is behind both the words and the works of Jesus. Everything Jesus did was purposeful to point people to God the Father. And it's clear, Jesus offers as the third witness, the Father, his Father, God the Father, who sent God the Son into the world. And the next witness that we're gonna look at, and this is the fourth one that Jesus provides, is witness number four, the scriptures, the word of God. And in verses 38 through 40 of our passage, Jesus provides the scriptures as witness number four. Jesus provides the scriptures, the word of God, as the fourth witness of why you should believe the words of Jesus. In verse 38, he goes on to say, 
You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Now, remember how earlier at the beginning we spoke of the importance of the context of Scripture, the entirety of Scripture working together. Now, Jesus says it plainly here that the whole point of the Scriptures is that they would testify about Jesus. And the purpose of the Gospel of John, the the book that we're studying together as a church family for these, these months now, it's the same because the John the Apostle, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John in chapter 20, verse 30, he says this, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book, speaking of the Gospel of John. But these have been written, why? So that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. When you carry your Bible, you are carrying the scriptures that point to Jesus. And when you open up your Bible and begin to read it, you are pouring the words of God into your heart and into your mind. And they are meant to point you to the person of Jesus. The purpose of the scriptures is that you would come to Jesus, that you might come to him and receive eternal life. You should believe the words of Jesus are true because of four witnesses, and Jesus offers these four witnesses. The first witness is himself, the Son of God. The second witness that Jesus offers is his works, his actions, the miracles of God. The third witness that Jesus offers is his Father, the Father God. And the fourth witness that Jesus offers is the scriptures, the word of God. Now, interestingly enough, in this passage right here, it it turns at this moment to briefly discuss some reasons why the audience at that moment, the Jews that Jesus was speaking to, and we can even extend it to apply it to ourselves today, why they were not believing the words of Jesus. And we're gonna call these barricades. Barricades to belief, and there's three of them. Three barricades to belief. The first barricade to believing the words of Jesus is barricade number one, and it is lacking the love of God. We see this in verses 41 and 42. Jesus warns about lacking the love of God as as barricade number one here. Jesus warns about how when a person is lacking the love of God, that it will operate like a barricade in their life to believing the words of Jesus. In verse 41, Jesus says this, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Again, Jesus uses a a negative statement here to expose the issue at hand. Those in his audience did not believe because they did not have the love of God in them. Now we can take this negative statement, we can turn it around to a positive one and be clued in. How do we overcome this barricade? How, How do we overcome this issue? And I would present it as this. Break through this barricade of unbelief and welcome the love of God into your life. Are you struggling with believing? 
Are you struggling with believing the words of Jesus? Are you struggling with believing that the words of Jesus are true? Then welcome, welcome the love of God into your life. The second barricade to believing the words of Jesus is barricade number two, and it's seeking worldly recognition. We see this in verses 43 and 44, and Jesus warns about seeking worldly recognition as the second barricade, we'll call it. And Jesus warns that when a person is seeking worldly recognition, that it will operate in in some way like a barricade in their life to them believing that the words of Jesus are are true. And he says in verse 43, I have come in my father's name and, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Jesus uses a contrasting statement here to expose this issue, this barricade. And those as an audience, the Jews he was speaking to, they did not believe, they did not receive Jesus in the name of the Father, but they they were willing to receive one another in their own names. And, And they would not believe Jesus who was seeking the glory of the Father, but they would they would believe one another who were seeking their own glory. And we can take this contrasting statement, we can focus this in on just to a unified single statement and and again, be clued in. How do we break through? How do we overcome this barricade? It it might be something that even you're struggling with right now. And and this issue I'd presented as this, that you would break through this barricade of unbelief and that you would seek the glory of God alone for your life. That you would seek the glory of God, not your own glory, but you would seek the glory of God that it would be your desire that God would be glorified in you and through you. And that you would welcome that in as an opportunity to believe in him, seeking him. The third barricade is rejecting the Bible. We see this in verses 45 and 47. Jesus warns about rejecting the Bible as barricade number three. He warns that when a person's rejecting the Bible, it will operate as a a sort of a barricade, a block, something that's prohibiting them from being able to believe that the words of Jesus are true. And Jesus says in verses 45 through 47, do not think I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how? This comes back to the question we started with. If you don't believe the writings of Moses, how will you believe my words? Jesus uses this ultimatum statement to expose this issue, this barricade. Those in his audience did not believe because they did not believe the writings of Moses, or in other words, they did not believe the scriptures. They did not believe the scriptures were pointing to Jesus. And Jesus makes it clear, if you don't accept the scriptures which was the fourth witness we looked at of why you should believe the words of Jesus are true. It's the the witness of scripture is what Jesus gives as a a offer of proof of why you should believe. If, If you don't believe the scriptures, if you don't accept the scriptures, if you reject the scriptures, how will you ever believe the words of Jesus? And I would offer you this again to overcome this, to break through this barricade of unbelief that you would accept the scriptures as the truth, accept the 
truth of the Holy Scriptures, you accept the Word of God as the truth and that you would accept it as the truth. Are you struggling with believing? Are you struggling with believing that the words of Jesus are true? I would challenge you right now, accept the Scriptures as true and see what happens in your life regarding your belief about Jesus. Believe the words of Jesus. Believe the words of Jesus because they lead to eternal life. The words of Jesus lead to eternal life. And I want to invite the musicians to come at this time. We're going to end our time together singing to God of our belief in Jesus. And we're going to look at two more passages as, as the musicians are coming and preparing. In John chapter 11 and verse 21, Jesus is very clear that believing in Jesus would lead to eternal life. Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who had just died, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus, he would not have died. And even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, being you know, a good Jewish woman who knew the scriptures and the teachings, and she, she says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I, I, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes, believes in me, will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now it might be that right now, still, still you have a struggle that you're going on with right now with believing Jesus. Maybe even believing Jesus in his entirety or believing Jesus in a portion of your life. Well, I would offer you this next passage, this next verse we're gonna look at as a prayer that you could pray. Before Jesus healed a boy who was possessed by a demon, Jesus invited the, invited the boy's father to place his trust in him and confidence in Jesus and believe in him. And here's how the boy's father responded. He said, immediately the boy's father cried out and he said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. But help my unbelief. I want to invite you to stand as we pray and then we're going to sing about what we believe in Jesus. I invite you to bow your heads uh, with me in prayer. And it may be that you need some help today. You need some help to overcome these barricades of unbelief in your own life. And I would encourage you right now to pray this exact same prayer of, that that boy's father prayed. I do believe, but God help my unbelief. Allow the, the love of God to be welcomed into your life that you would seek the glory of God instead of your own glory, that you would accept the truth of Scripture into your heart and mind, and that right now you would pray, you would pray to the God of heaven who is merciful and loving and compassionate and forgiving, and you would pray this simple prayer. I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for having welcomed each of us into your embrace. And may we be a people who believe the words of Jesus. May our lives be transformed by them, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the words of Jesus. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's family said, amen. Amen.